0: Aloha and welcome to I Hate My Voice, the podcast where we deep dive into our dysfunctional relationships with our voices, while also learning to turn it all around. My name is Nikki D, and I'm an award-winning vocalist, transformational vocal coach, and founder of the Diva Academy. I have just one mission with this podcast, to inspire and empower you to actually fall in love with your voice. go back to her and I go back to I'm back. Hey guys, it is season one, episode six, and I have to first apologize for this episode coming out a bit late. Um, some stuff went down last week that I couldn't control. So this is coming out late. Um, that means that two episodes will be coming out pretty close to each other, kind of almost back to back. But I am so happy to be back and recording uh, Season 1, Episode 6 of I Hate My Voice. I'm Nikki D., your host, and I have actually been the most excited about this episode of any other ones that I've done so far, because most of those, well, all of those really dealt with vocal mindset and how to kind of start understanding why we say things like I Hate My Voice and why we have such a dysfunctional and fraught relationship with our voices to begin with. And finally, for episodes six, seven, and eight, which are the final three of season one, I plan to address some actual um, vocal myths and then the facts that um, supersede those myths. I'm going to start out this episode. uh, Episode six is going to be all about breath. And so I've called this episode Just Breathe, Baby, because you know not only do people come up to me pretty quickly after we meet and say oh my god like i hate my voice i can't sing etc or you know when i speak or hear a recording of myself i want to vomit people say stuff like that to me believe it or not and on top of that i'd say the next most common comment i get is something along the lines of i don't know how to breathe or i can't breathe and obviously there are some arguments to be made that, you know, we all know how to breathe or we would be dead. Um, that's something that someone, a voice, a vocal coach said to a group of us once in college, like somewhere along the line, we lost the ability to breathe in a really natural way, in a way that's really unstressed, like unanxious, and in a way that's, you know, relaxed and natural. And that's really all we need to come back to when it comes to breathing for the purposes of vocal production, right? Whether that's singing or speaking. And in fact, um, I've talked about this before, but in the method that I teach, the Diva Method, whether it's um, you know through one-on-one lessons or group coaching or online learning from videos, however you consume my content, my teaching, One of the things I've realized over the years is that most of the components of what I teach apply to both singing and speaking, really everything to do with the foundations of vocal production. So that includes mindset, that includes breath, right? And it also includes the body, right? Physical and anatomical things you need to know and you need to kind of rethink a little bit and work on. Uh, in a deliberate way, so I, I call that mind-body breath, and that is the foundations. Those are identical between singing and speaking. Identical, no change whatsoever. And then, of course, on the technical side, the technique, um, most of that is actually identical as well. Where things differ, where things start to look a little bit different, is in the application or the integration of the foundation that you set right for your vocal production for your for your voice. And the technique, right? So the way that you apply those is a little bit different. So in terms of breath, the only thing that would really be different is maybe how long, you know, how long you sustain a phrase in singing versus speaking will determine the type of breath you take, where in your body you want to feel it, how long you want to hold certain muscles taut, um, how long you want to suspend something. That's the difference. And so that's an application thing. It's not about breathing differently. It's just more about uh, volume and length of a breath. So I just want to get that out of the way because I think a lot of people are under the impression that vocal study is only for singers and that most of the concepts of vocal technique only apply to singers. So not true. So as I'm speaking all of this content right now into this into this little mic, I really don't think of it any differently as if I were to sing other than, again, longer phrases and singing and Certainly, you're going to use a different range of pitches. You're going to use a wider range of pitches. Um, Some people speak in a very animated way. I think I speak somewhat animatedly. Um, I think actors learn to use a much fuller range of notes when they speak. Um, Pitches, their dynamics are very similar to what you find in, in singing. And that dates way, way back to, you know, Shakespeare's days and well before that as well so when in order to perform a piece whether it's a play or a sonnet or whatever it might be of course they designed theaters in such a way that the acoustics allowed sound to travel a lot better so amphitheaters were created to make up for the fact that things needed to carry further and of course this is way 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 before amplification was available for the actors or the orators right speech makers Politicians, in order for them to project their sound out further, they likely employed a vocal technique a lot closer to what today's, you know, opera singers or um, theater singers employ. Because even though opera singers and theater singers are miked nowadays, a lot of times you'll see those mics. At least for Broadway and musical theater, you'll see those those um, headset mics, and sometimes the microphone will come like across the scalp and down to the forehead or across the jawbone and you know stop a couple of inches from the corner of the mouth even though they're amplified now the technique that's used in more theatrical singing is very similar to the way you would have projected your voice in an amphitheater a lecture hall before electronic amplification was a thing so all of that the root foundation of all of that is definitely definitely in the breath in the ability to control the breath and the ability to be supported by breath. And so the first myth I'd like to dispel regarding breath, since today's episode is about breath, what I like to do when people come in to me for a voice lesson, for an initial sort of diagnostic evaluation of their voice, I'm not really trying to pop quiz anybody, but I like to ask a series of questions to ascertain their existing knowledge of breath as it pertains to vocal production. So a very simple question might be something like, so tell me what breath support is. What is your perception of what breath support means? Can you define breath support for me? Something along those lines. Please define breath support in a, you know, casual kind of way. And I get all sorts of interesting responses back from people. One of the more common responses I get is that you have to support your breath, That's what breath support is. You have to support your breath. You have to do something physically to support your breath, which I can see why they think that. I can see why the wording is a little bit confusing, or I can see why they would perceive breath support to be something that you're doing to support breath. It sounds like a supportive breath, right? Like um, what I'm, I'm thinking of like bra, your bra supports you. So it's like boob support, right? Boob support is something supporting your boobs. (laughs) This is such such a weird analogy, but usually if you put the word support after something, you think that the support is happening to the first word. So the support is happening to the breath, right? Totally common idea that people have. And before I go on to actually define breath support, I will mention another common misconception that I hear a lot, which is that something happens in the stomach region. For example, if I say, you know, define, um, diaphragmatic breathing. People usually think it has something to do with the stomach, like breathing from my stomach. My stomach needs to poke out. I'll breathe into my stomach in order to sing better or speak better. That is a common misconception. So since this is only a short podcast episode, I'm just going to tackle those two things right off the bat. And the first one being breath support. This is a really big um, breakthrough for a lot of people. It's a sort of a little bit of a mind bender um, for anyone who has studied, you know, or practiced yoga and has practiced pranayama, breathing, um, diaphragmatic breathing. This won't come as much of a surprise, but for anyone who's new to the concept, the concept really is: you don't support your breath; your breath supports you. Your breath, the breath that you draw, the muscles that you engage to hold that breath correctly while you sing or speak a phrase, that breath supports your vocal production. It supports your sound. It supports everything going on above it so that the muscles that are involved in the actual production of vocals, so the vocal folds and the small muscles within the larynx, can do their job without strain, without quote-unquote work, right? So the work, the effort, should happen only. Well, below the vocal production muscles. They should only occur, actual work, actual tension should only take place in the muscles below the voice box. There's a couple of different things to keep in mind here. One is that your breathing apparatus, right, the the way that we breathe, it involves an organ and it involves muscles. Your organs or your lungs, they, they do fill with air. I'm not going to get super technical on the anatomy here, but they fill with air. And in order for them to expand fully, there are a couple sets of muscles below them and around them that need to do a little bit of work. Okay? Most people are familiar with the diaphragm muscle. The diaphragm is a sort of a parachute or umbrella-shaped muscle. It's kind of flat when you are relaxed. And then when you breathe in and expand your lungs, the diaphragm sort of spreads out. Think of the shape of a a parachute. And that parachute sort of covers all all of the organs in your abdominal cavity. In fact, it's what separates your lungs and heart in the upper thoracic region from the abdomen, the abdominal cavity, as it's called, where your liver and kidneys and all that, your digestive organs live. So the diaphragm muscle is really sort of a barrier between the two. And that's why, um, just as an aside, that's why deep diaphragmatic breathing creates a sort of a massage of those digestive and other organs, those abdominal organs. And that's why deep breathing can aid in digestion. It can help with stress relief and anxiety relief because it does create a sort of internal massage. Okay, And in addition to... Um, when the diaphragm muscle descends and allows the lungs to fill up all the way to the bottom. See, most of us are breathing maybe about as far as just below the clavicles all day long. And that's because we're stressed and we're shallow breathers and we're kind of in a hurry all the time. But when we take the time to, to breathe diaphragmatically, meaning allow the diaphragm muscle to really descend and, and lower, so it pushes against the abdominal cavity, the lower abdominal cavity, And the lungs are able to then expand all the way down to the bottom. I mean, the lungs are pretty large organs and we don't, for the most part, we don't use their full capacity all day long. So it takes some concentrated effort for most of us. If you've been breathing in a typical way um, of the typical modern stressed out person, you are not breathing to your fullest capacity. So there's that descent of the diaphragm that allows the lungs to fill with air Fill with oxygen, and then they're able to oxygenate your blood so much better. So it oxygenates your brain, and there's all kinds of great benefits to that, obviously. So that is number one, the, the diaphragm muscle. And then the second set of muscles that are equally as important, especially if you are working on your voice in order to be able to sing or speak professionally, publicly, right, um, in a way that's conducive to speech making, leadership, you know, anything in your business that you need to accomplish with your voice. This is where not only the diaphragm muscle comes into play in order to have more control over the way you're speaking, but the muscles that don't get is that aren't as, I guess, as sexy or aren't as, as uh, addressed are what's called the intercostals, okay? And then costal, costals referring to the ribs, and then inter is between. So it's the muscles between the ribs. These muscles are actually the ones I tend to have to work the most on with students at first, because the diaphragm is a larger muscle, right? And even if you practice mindfulness or, you know, deep breathing once in a while, it's not as, I think, difficult to get a sense, to get a feel for the diaphragm. And it's not as difficult to Um, strengthen it. It, it, It's kind of, you know, it's a larger muscle, kind of like your larger muscle groups kind of tend to be naturally a bit stronger, like your quadriceps, your glutes, right? As opposed to like these teeny tiny muscles, like around your joints that are the ones that tend to get injured more quickly, more easily. So the intercostals are the muscles between the ribs that need to fully expand or expand depending on the depth or the volume of breath that you're taking, depending on whatever it is that you need to produce with your voice. If it's a long phrase, if you're giving an important speech, you want to kind of take your time with and be able to really control your outflow of breath, you need those intercostal muscles to be strengthened. You need them to become flexible. You need to be able to control them. So it's the diaphragm muscle and the intercostals. Because what happens is when you draw in a deep breath, your diaphragm muscle descends and the intercostal muscles expand. Okay. And the more you can get them to expand and be flexible and then have control of that expansion, be able to hold them when they're expanded, to hold them in that expanded position, the more you're going to be able to control how much breath. Is actually able to pass through your vocal cords in order to produce whatever vocals you need to produce. Again, whether it's singing or speaking, all that changes is the application. All that changes is maybe the length of a phrase. That's it. Everything else is completely the same. The way that I work on these muscles with my clients is the same. Again, it's the application, it's the integration that's different. Same with vocal technique, which we'll get into in in a future episode. Right now, we're still talking about the foundations of breath. Okay, so those two muscles again, the diaphragm muscles and, or sorry, the diaphragm muscle and the intercostal muscles between the ribs. And there's so, so, so much more to cover, but I just want you to start becoming more aware of those muscles when you breathe, it's not just the diaphragm. And another quick note about the diaphragm and actually very, very important note about the diaphragm, getting back to that myth that your stomach has to move in and out when you breathe. So you'll notice this a lot. Um, people will have their hands on their, on their abdomen or just below their ribs and they're kind of feeling for their diaphragm muscle to expand um, as they breathe in and then contract as they breathe out. That is the correct way. Some people do it the opposite way at first and they have to be retrained. So if you're drawing a deep breath in and your diaphragm muscle is expanding, yes, you'll get an expansion in the belly a little bit. And then as you exhale, you'll get a contraction, right? It'll let out and your belly will go back in. However, another really, really important thing to start focusing on when it comes to diaphragmatic breathing is that the diaphragm expands in all directions, front, back, and sides, and diagonals. So, I want you to start thinking of the expansion of your diaphragm muscle, right? The descent of the diaphragm muscle as the intercostal muscles start to stretch. I want you to think of it more like less like a ball in the front of your body, like just thinking of that frontal plane. And I want you to start thinking of it more like an inner tube wrapped around your waist. Okay? Think of it as a completely deflated inner tube when you have exhaled. And then when you inhale, I want you to think of the expansion of the diaphragm muscle taking place 360 degrees around your waist. So because we tend to... So for one thing, if you look at the shape of the ribs, there's a lot more space, right, in the front. The the ribs give way right there in the front. And so you might notice physically, visually notice the diaphragm expanding a lot more toward the front. And so what's important to focus on are the more difficult areas to feel, which are the sides and the back. And again, this gets back to those intercostals. The intercostals have to be able to stretch and become more flexible in order to really feel and begin to get control of your ability to breathe diaphragmatically from the sides and the back. So a lot of times I'll have my clients, well, first of all, I have them put their fingers on their ribs as if they're holding their waist, but put their fingers around their ribs and have have them be in a sort of closed finger position. And then when they breathe in, I like to have them expand their fingers As just a sort of a representation of the ribs as they sort of stretch apart. And so they start to get a better feel for their intercostal muscles, what they feel like when they expand, and then when they contract, right? So I have them just use their fingers. And then I have them flip their fingers around so that their thumb is in the front and their forefingers are in the back along their back ribs. And I have them repeat that. Hands, you know, relatively closed on the exhale and then on the inhale, expand the fingers. This is just a visualization, right? That you're not actually trying to match your fingers to your rib cage and make them expand and contract along with your rib cage. I just want you to start to visualize that opening and closing of the spaces between your ribs as you breathe in. So it's the intercostals really that dictate how big of a diaphragmatic breath you can can take. Okay, so just to start thinking about breath for vocal production this way is a huge, huge, huge breakthrough for some people, and and for some it takes a little bit of time. But once you once you understand the anatomy of it a little bit better, and once you start to breathe intentionally in a way that causes the diaphragm to expand in all directions again, it's 360 degrees. You got to picture that inner tube filling with air on all sides. And then, as you breathe out, you got to picture the inner tube not collapsing. Because I never want you collapsed. I never want a collapsed posture from my clients when they're, you know, working on vocal production. But just to get that feeling all the way around of how it feels to breathe in such a way that you are creating support for everything that goes on above. Because when your diaphragm muscle and your intercostal costal muscles are working together to create a lot of space for the lungs to expand, your next step then is to learn to keep them expanded. So that's where the, the work comes in. Because getting the diaphragm muscle to, de- ex- to descend or, you know, and spread out and the intercostal muscles to spread out, that happens from the drawing in of a breath, right? When you pull that breath in as deep as you can, and there are several tricks to how to get your breath in deeper and all of that. But I mean, that's, Really just the inhale is what expands them. The work happens when they're already expanded. The diaphragm's descended, the intercostals are expanded, and you have to hold that position throughout your whole phrase, whenever you're singing or speaking. And so I'll give a lot more examples of this, I'll show you how it works in future episodes, but I just wanted to tackle really quickly those those two myths that, one, you have to support your breath, no, 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 no fact, your breath supports you. And number two, that everything happens in the front of the body. Something's happening in the stomach with the stomach moving in and out. No, no, no. It's 360 degrees around. And number three, I guess to throw on there is that it's not just the diaphragm muscle that's involved. It is also the intercostals, equally as important as the diaphragm muscle when it comes to vocal production. So hopefully that sets a nice foundation for anyone who's looking to improve their vocal production, who's looking to have more control over how much air they're, you know, expelling when they produce a vocal, whether it's a sung vocal or a spoken vocal, right? If it's a long phrase, if it's a full song, if it's a speech, if it's a poem, whatever it is that you're trying to communicate, if it's a conversation, whatever it is, these muscles are absolutely crucial to befriend, number one, to get a feel for and an awareness of and to learn to control in paradoxically a relaxed and chilled out way and again what this does is it allows everything above right so everything in say let's say from your clavicles and up right from your collarbone up all of that space in there we want that to be as relaxed detached and chilled out as possible So that the actual production of the vocal can be what it needs to be. Because forcing and straining in that area is the number one killer of the voice. It leads to nodules and polyps and all sorts of awful problems. So we want to avoid that at all costs. And so what we need to do is to start building and developing the muscle underneath where we produce our vocals in order to create support. So that everything above can start to relax, chill out, and do what nature intended. And do it in a very natural way, almost like the baby screaming on the plane for hours and not losing its voice, right? Where if you watch the baby doing it, and I know it's annoying, but if you actually become a, just as a student of the human voice, watch how their entire lower body from front, back, and side seems to expand right before the next scream. (laughs) So they're an excellent uh, representation, I think, of the human voice doing its thing in the most natural way. So we have unfortunately devolved um, as modern humans to make our breathing really shallow to have our breathing muscles be really kind of weak and not doing a whole lot. And so we then unfortunately rely way too much on these teensy tiny little muscles inside of our larynx, or even these muscles just outside of our larynx and in our face that have nothing to do with vocal production. We start to rely on them really, really strongly. And that, my friends, is a huge mistake. So I hope this was informative and helpful for some people. I know maybe for others it might be old hat, but I think there's always something to be gained from going back and remembering and practicing um, this type of breathing and kind of getting back in touch with what it feels like to allow our diaphragm muscle to descend and allow our intercostal muscles to stretch and contract in order to support our vocal production up above. So yeah, I'm so excited to finally be talking about actual vocal foundations and technique with you guys. We've got a lot more coming, two more episodes for this season. I know this one went a little bit long, but I hope it was um, packed with useful things and that you will tune in for episode seven next week, where we will continue talking a little bit more about vocal foundations, vocal technique, so that eventually we can start to talk about how we apply those things, how we integrate them into whatever it is we're we're aiming to do with our voices, whether it's singing or speaking. So again, I'm Nikki D. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I will talk with you very soon. Bye-bye. Mahalo for tuning in, and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of I Hate My Voice. To learn more about my online vocal programs, visit my website at diva.academy. That's D-E-E-V-A dot academy. You can also find me on social media with the hashtag at divamusic. And don't forget, that's diva with two E's. My name is Nikki D. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Aloha.